Well, good morning. Thank you so much for having us uh, here today. And Anne and I are delighted to be here uh, in the other place, uh, which is very interesting. This is my first time in Oxford. Anna has been here before. She loves it. And uh, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, we are particularly thankful and grateful for Richard and uh, uh, Catherine, who have received us with such love and care. So thank you. It's an honor to be here. And I was amazed to know that you guys uh, know Sam and Nat. We are good friends in Brazil. But I was, I mean, I'm amazed that I, I can't seem to be able to get rid of him. I mean, <laughs> we sent him to Panama already. And then I go all the way to Oxford. And who is here? It's just like, what do I do with this guy? But actually, we love them uh, so much. And uh, uh, Nat's brother actually took part in our wedding, and we are very good friends. We see each other, uh, although we live in different places. We see each other every month, and uh, we just love them. And we are very, uh, we were surprised and happy that you guys support them and our partners with them. And may God bless this partnership. Well, Colossians 1. 24 uh, through 29, I want to talk to you this morning about the pains and glory of witnessing to Christ in this world. Let me just see if I can get my timer here so I don't stay with you for an hour, which I could. All right. Okay. When we look at the Gospels, we see that uh, each one of them has a version of the Great Commission. So Jesus Christ, after, after his resurrection, commanded us to do something in this world. So to preach the Gospel, right? And uh, when we look at Luke's version of the Great Commission, he mentions the word witness. Obviously, they are talking about the same thing, but looking at different angles, different aspects of our witnessing in this world. But Luke particularly picks up on the word witnessing. You will be witnessing to all of this, and you are going to preach the good news of Christ's death and resurrection to all the nations. That's our calling, right? So that's what we are here to do. That's our mission. If you want to define the mission of the church, either here in the UK, in Brazil, South America, anywhere in the world, since Jesus Christ founded the church, until the day he will come to pick us up for himself and take us home, it is to be witness to the gospel. Preachers. Well, this is exactly what the church does in Acts, isn't it? So Luke finishes his gospel talking about or mentioning the great commission of Jesus Christ, saying that they should be witness, uh, witnesses to all those things. And then in Acts, we see the church putting that thing into practice, living it out, being witnesses. Isn't it true? Isn't it what we see in Acts? And then we see the church thriving multiplying, becoming stronger and stronger. By what? By preaching the word. Go back home and then if you want to read Acts again at some point, well, obviously you will do it, but just try and pick up on something that Luke keeps repeating there. He keeps repeating the phrase, and God multiplied the number of those who believed. And the word of God was being fulfilled and multiplying. And he keeps that verse all the way through Acts, because Luke is concerned about showing us the triumph of God's word and witnessing. 
And then the growth of the church and the strengthening of the church comes very naturally, organically, by preaching the word. They believe the power of the word, the power of witnessing to Christ's gospel. Here in Colossians, we see that corporate kind of mission, the task, the great commission being embodied by one person, Paul, the Apostle Paul. He's talking as an apostle here, but as a witness of Christ. And what he says here about his own ministry of the word applies to each one of us, because that's what the the followers of Jesus were doing in Acts. That's what we are called to do here in Oxford, in the United Kingdom, and everywhere in the world. And then I want to look at his, Paul's ministry, and his attitude towards his ministry, his calling, uh, as an encouragement to us. And I want you to see Paul as an example, as he is, a model of being witness. Uh, to Christ and a witness of the gospel. So it is true that the office of preaching the gospel, witnessing to the gospel, as well as the gospel itself is glorious. However, the messenger, the witness, witness needs to approach his office, his calling with a servant's heart. That's what we see in Jesus. That's what we see in Paul here. And I want to talk about this, about the pains and the glory of witnessing uh, to the gospel in the world. We have much to learn from the Apostle Paul's ministry experience here. He concludes verse 23, if you look back on, your, on, the, uh, on the passage that we read. Verse 23, he finishes that bit saying, I, Paul, have become a servant. Some translations have the word minister. Servant is a better word. That's what he's saying. I am a servant of God. I am a servant also of the church. When he mentions servant or the idea of being or of becoming a servant, he then goes and he moves on into uh, a talk of his own ministry as a servant of the word of God. He elaborates on the nature of this ministry and particularly its significance for the Colossians and for us. And the first thing that I want to highlight uh, for all of us this morning is Paul's uh, ministry attitude, his attitude towards his calling to be a witness of Jesus Christ. The first thing we can notice here is Paul's uh, uh, willingness to suffer for the church. Look at verse 24 once again. Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction or afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. He rejoices in his sufferings for the sake of the church, which is very uh, weird for Westerners, isn't it? For us in Brazil as well, it's just like, we have advanced so much our sciences and all the knowledge, and we have tried so much to mitigate pain. All, apparently all our efforts is towards comfort, is towards mitigating pain. And if we could even uh, get rid of the idea of death altogether and live forever. And Paul is saying, I rejoice in suffering. He's not being here somber, someone who likes and enjoys suffering just for the sake of suffering. It's not that. 
He's got a purpose for rejoicing the sufferings because his sufferings were not in vain. There was a purpose behind it. The same way as Jesus rejoiced suffering for a reason, for a purpose. So how did Paul's sufferings then benefit the church at large? Paul is obviously here not talking about afflictions that would fulfill something that was lacking of Christ's uh, vicarious sacrifice on the cross. He's not saying that what Jesus did on the cross was not enough to save us, and therefore he has to fill up what is still lacking of those sufferings. Nothing of that. Paul knew and he says that over and over again that what Jesus did on the cross was once and for all. That was enough. It's finished, said Jesus, and Paul believed in it. It was finished. What Paul is talking about here is something to do with his idea of history and what happened to history when Christ came to earth. He understood that when, when Christ came to earth, the last chapter of human history had begun. So we now live in what he says and the other uh, apostles in the last days of humanity. Christ inaugurated it on the cross and at his resurrection. The last day is still to come. But we already live in the last days. And Paul knew that just as Jesus had predicted there is a great deal of pain that we have to endure for the sake of the kingdom. This is part of the way the kingdom of God advances, goes forward. It is inevitable. It is necessary. And Jesus has not misled you. I hope so. Because he never said such a thing that Christianity would be easy, did he? He never said that. We maybe have tried to lie to ourselves, but Jesus said, well, if you want to follow me, well, you're going to have to die every day. That's what he means by taking up a cross and following me every day. There are sufferings. If they did that to the master, what do you think they're going to do to the disciples? Jesus never uh, misled us. You, you cannot be disappointed at God towards, I mean, in face of suffering. The only way you can be disappointed at God or Jesus in face of suffering and things such as those terrible uh, things that we have to enjoy in life is that you have a misconception of God and you didn't understand what the Bible reveals about him. Paul knew that in the last days, although we have been freed uh, from the bondage of sin and the darkness and the kingdom of darkness. That, that's what he says in verse 13 of Colossians 1. He knows that despite that has happened on the cross, we still need to fight against those powers. Isn't it true? That's why we have to put on the armor, the full armor of God to fight, not flesh, not blood, but spiritual powers. That's what he's talking about. And he says that, he rejoices in suffering for the sake of the church, in filling up those necessary sufferings of Christ for the church, for us. That's his purpose. I remember uh, John Piper once said, an American preacher, that a thousand sorrows prepare a man to preach. A thousand sorrows prepare a man to preach. Well, he's just reflecting what the psalmist already said over and over again in other uh, Bible authors. In Psalm 119, 
uh, verse 71, the psalmist says, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. The disciples in Acts, they rejoiced when they were in prison, they were beaten up, and then they went back home. They praised the Lord because they were found uh, in the privilege, they were found uh, worthy of suffering the same sufferings uh, that Jesus Christ had to go through. That's the mentality. The Christian life presupposes struggles and sufferings. To the Corinthians, Paul says that besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. But that, but then what does it matter? That's, that's what I love about Philippians. One of the things that it just tucks up to me and, and it sticks out to me and I love it is when Paul is in prison in chapter 1, the church from Philippos sends some delegates from uh, Philippos to check uh, check up on him and see what he, how he's doing and what is his situation in prison. Paul says, well, it is true what you heard. I am in prison. And, and uh, furthermore, there are some people here who, knowing that I'm in prison, they preach the gospel out of jealousy. They want to inflict more pain to me by doing that. But then Paul says in verse 18, but what does it matter? You know what he's saying here? He said, I'm in prison. That's what they're trying to do to me. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. That's the right priority. That's someone who has got his priorities right. That is what is important. And because of this, I rejoice. 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 Yes, I will continue to rejoice because Christ is preached. So that's his attitude towards his calling to preach the gospel. A calling that each one of us has in our own lives. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have been called to be a witness, to make disciples in, the, in Matthew's version. Witness, make disciples. What is the charge of Paul's ministry, which by extension is our charge? Verses 25 through 27. Uh, look back at Colossians 1.25. I have become its servant, the servant of the church. He has just mentioned in the previous verse. I have become its servant by the commission of God, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its Fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. Who is the source? First of all, his charge is to preach the word. Let me just highlight this and make it very clear. All right? That's what he says. What is his charge? What is he called to do? To preach the word. That's his priority. You remember what Peter said to those who wanted to help the Greek wives and widows and everyone else in, in the church in Acts? He says, well, it's good to do that. Let's do it. But let's appoint some people who can actually deal with the table and help them out. But us, we have to be focused. We have to concentrate on the, wo on the work of the word and prayer, right? Paul takes that seriously as well. That's been witnessing. That's, that's work, working his, your ministry out. So Paul is charged to preach 
the word. And who is the source of his ministry? He says very clearly, God himself. Paul had been taken up by God, gifted with God's gift, and led by God into ministry on his uh, way to Damascus. I believe we all uh, remember Paul's experience of conversion on his way to Damascus. And Paul understood then that he was being called by God to become a servant of the church, a servant of the word, because he was a servant of Jesus Christ. And all of us who preach the gospel, who witnesses, who witness to Christ, needs to cultivate this servant's heart, knowing this, that we are here to serve each other and to serve the kingdom by fulfilling our mission in the world of preaching the gospel. If we cultivate a servant's heart, we protect ourselves from some pitfalls uh, in our Christian life. We can protect ourselves from pride, for example. We need to watch out our hearts for pride 24-7. We protect ourselves if we keep a servant's heart from insecurity. Preachers, missionaries, a witness of God, uh, preachers in general, Christians, can become insecure. We might become too sensitive to criticism. What will they think of me if I strike a, con strike a conversation here about God? Do they do God here in this place? Can I witness to Christ here? Is it okay? Or will they criticize me and therefore I will, I will be more careful? So we need constant reassurance in our lives, validation from other people because we are insecure in our ministry. Paul had no issues with that. I'm in prison. They are mocking me. I don't care. Christ is being preached. Secure man. Jesus was a very fulfilled and secure man, the most of them all. He could wash feet that he knew and the feet of people who would betray him. He could do it. Because he knew, and that's how John starts uh, verse 13, where we have this episode of uh, the feet washing or whatever, and, and it's called in English. And, and then Jesus, John says, you see, Jesus knowing where he had come from and where he was going to, he stood up, took his clothes off, and he did the job. He knew who he was. Strong identity. I came from God. I'm going back from, uh, to God. I don't care if they think I'm doing a slave job here. I would do it. Paul was the same thing. Servant's heart. This was, that was Jesus' heart. Resentment. We, are, we will protect ourselves from resentment. They do not accept people who are more sensitive any measure of suffering for the church. And they resent God ultimately because of that. Paul didn't care about it. Again, he cared about fulfilling his ministry of preaching the word. What is the content of his preaching? Very simple. We don't need to reinvent anything. Verse 26, he talks about the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. The word mystery had a different meaning in Greek. The language that Paul was writing in here and the word mystery in English. Mystery in English as well as in Portuguese is normally used to convey the idea of something 
unexplainable by reason. You can't explain that by reason. It's, it's, it's sometimes even opposed to reason. You just accept it. The word mystery, uh, on the other hand, in Greek meant a secret. Something that for a while was hidden, but has been now revealed. It's there. It's not esoteric. It's something that has been hidden in the past, but it's now revealed. That's the mystery that Paul is talking about here. Something that in the Old Testament, if you prefer, was hidden in a way. It was there, but indirectly, but now has, been, has become explicit, has become clear, has become revealed in Jesus Christ. And what is the content of this mystery? That was hidden, but now is revealed. Verse 27, to them, the Lord's people, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In Ephesians 3, verses 4, 3 through 6, Paul explains further what he means by mystery. And he's here uh, talking about the mystery of God's eternal plan of building a people made up of Gentiles and Jewish and Jews. So basically, from a Jewish perspective, the world could be divided into two categories. The Jews, the chosen people of God, and the rest, the Gentiles. Paul reminds them that since the beginning, since Abraham's call, God's plan, and since from before the foundation of the world, God's plan was to bring people from every nation, every tongue, tribe, to become one only people of God. And Paul is saying here that in Jesus Christ, God has reconciled everyone to himself, to God, and reconciled all nations to each other, to themselves, among themselves, so they could together become a new, reconfigured people of God. That's the mystery. Christ among you. If you're not a Jew, that's about you. That's good news to you. Salvation for all of us. That's why we can go out and preach to all the nations, inviting them all. And we can do that because in, in Revelation, we hear that the Lamb of God bought with his blood people from every nation, tongue, remember, tribe, Everyone from every, every nation, from every part of the world, every culture. Therefore, what we do now is go out there and get what is already God's. What is already bought by Christ. We need to go and get them. That's the Great Commission. That's what we do. That's the mystery. Salvation to everyone. That's what we preach. That's what Paul preached to hear. That's the mystery. And he talks about the riches. The riches of this mystery of what God has done uh, in Christ. The riches of this, the glorious riches of this mystery. They are too many to list. But just like in a, a, a very brief sample of those riches, we could list here reconciliation with God. That's a glorious rich of God's mystery. Reconciliation with God, freedom, redemption, forgiveness of sins, security, hope, Eternity, spiritual power to persevere in the Christian walk, power against sin, joy, satisfaction in the Lord. All is in Christ, and Christ is all this to us. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is uh, our blessed hope. To Titus, Paul writes, we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the Lord 
of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the hope that has brought us to Christ Jesus, our Lord. All right, so we have seen Paul's attitude towards his calling to preach the gospel, the charge to preach the word, the mystery that has been revealed, and for what purpose? What is the ultimate purpose of preaching the word to every nation? Verse 28, 28, Paul says, He is the one, he's talking about Christ, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present, so that, that's the purpose, that's the objective here, that's the goal, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. Well, just... Just note a few things here. Just note how many verbs Paul uses here for teaching, proclaiming, instructing, something to do with knowing or teaching the Word of God. You see that? He talks about proclaiming, admonishing, teaching with all wisdom. He's talking about teaching the Word of God. Do you know what we have here in front of our eyes? Someone who believed the power of the Word of God. He believed that this world would be transformed, impacted, that our relevance in this world would come through preaching the word faithfully, faithfully, with boldness. Can you see that? That's him. He says, listen, that's my work. That's what I do. That's my task. That's my, my commission. That's your commission, to preach the word. You know why? Because it's the powerful powerful instrument in God's hands to expand, advance the kingdom of God, his kingdom. Paul's goal by doing this as a herald of the word was nothing less than presenting every man and woman perfect, mature in the faith before the Lord Jesus Christ. He had, if you like big words, he had an eschatological kind of goal in mind. He, he was not working only for this world here. He had something else in mind. He knew that at the end of the day, he would stand before the Lord and look back in his life and see if it was worth living. And he knew that he would know that it was worth living if he did it for the Lord. If he sacrificed his Lord in his calling to be a witness of Christ in the world. You know what I'm saying? And then he would know that in his life he prepared people to present them to the Lord at, at the last day. That's what pastors do, but that's not their exclusive work. That's our task, each one of us, to present others to Christ, saying, this is the one that you trusted me. I brought them to faith, but I nurtured, I helped nurture their faith. And they grew. And that, that, here they are and presenting them mature to Christ. How does he intend to reach that such a lofty goal? As I said already, through the preaching and teaching of the scriptures. There is no other secret. He's preaching the word. That's what the first disciples did. And the, and the church grew healthily, let me tell you, healthily in Acts, amongst persecution, in the midst of persecution, just the way Jesus intended it to be. There is no other way but the faithful and diligent preaching and teaching of the word of God to proclaim 
various ver uh, verbs here to proclaim preaching the gospel in general. He explains this by two other words, admonishing, focus here on warning Christians who find themselves tempted to stray from the narrow path, teaching a more positive word, the activity of communicating the truth, the whole truth to Christians. The gospel whose proclamation has been entrusted to us is glorious, it's precious. Have you heard of George Whitfield? Maybe you have. Once he said, other men can preach the gospel better than I. I doubt that. Not many could. But he would say, other men can preach the gospel better than I. But no man can preach a better gospel. Doesn't matter if you're Paul, Diego. Doesn't matter. It's the word that matters. Preached faithfully. It's like a lion, Spurgeon would say. Just let it out. It will do the job. You don't need to try and tame it. Make it more palatable. Look nice. No, it's a lion. Just let it out. Let it do the job. And you'll see God working through it. Because he promised he would. And if Paul is talking about presenting people mature to God, I conclude that, and I, the implication for me here is that he's not only talking about a preaching from the pulpit kind of thing. He's talking about witnessing indeed, because he's talking about discipling people, walking with them, uh, the, the Christian path with the Bible open in front of their eyes and, and learning and teaching and living it out with all wisdom. Finally, look at Paul's effort to fulfill his ministry in verse 29. That's the goal. We, we've seen his attitude towards his calling, his ministry. He, he, he's glad to suffer for the sake of the church. We've seen the task. He's there to preach the gospel, nothing else. We've seen the purpose is to present people in the last day. Remember, we are in the last days, but on the very last day, Paul wanted to bring lots of people and present them mature to God and say, that's, that's what I did with my life. That's what Christ did with his. That's what I did with me. I imitated him. I, I followed his steps. That's my calling here. And I worked it out. And here it is by God's power. But what, how does he deal with it in terms of efforts? What can we learn from him? Verse 29. To this end, you see, to this goal, that's the purpose. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Gospel service, witnessing, demands hard work. Paul took seriously Peter's pastoral call, as I already said, in Acts 6, to call to prayer into the word of God. He has already mentioned their prayers in verse 3, 9 through 12. And here he labors, he says, in preaching the gospel, in warning the Christians, in resisting false teachers. And Paul is very easy and Paul is very okay with uh, bringing those two concepts together of human effort, human responsibility, and God's effective power, enabling humans or, and, and us as witnesses of Christ to work. That's what he does here. He brings them together. He, he combines hard work with the Lord's energy. That's what we need. We can't do it without, it without the Lord, without his power, without his energy. 
Paul understood that all his hard work would only bear fruit through God's effectiveness as those disciples in Acts preaching the gospel. They knew the power didn't come from them. It came from the word. Paul knew that very well. In 1 Corinthians 15, 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, by grace. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. He's talking about the other disciples. He's not being very English here, is he? <laughs> no, I worked, man, harder than all of them. You see, I can say that very directly. But he goes on. He says, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You see, there is no tension in Paul. The two things go hand in hand, go together. We need that power, but we already have been promised that power. Now we need to go out there and be witnesses of Christ and, and be preachers and be heralds of the word of God. Uh, Joe McCarthy is uh, an American pastor, as you might know, and uh, he, there is something that he keeps repeating in his ministry since very early on in his ministry, and I find it very encouraging and challenging. He once said that he was at this conference and someone asked him, listen, John, what did you do? What is your secret? What did you do for your church to increase so much? I mean, what is the secret? And he said that, and I quote, early in, early in my ministry, I committed before the Lord that I would simply worry about the depth of my ministry and I would let him take care of the breadth of it. No techniques. What we need is to be faithful to preaching. Let the Lord do the job. We preach. That's what we call to do. We long, we pray, we cry for people's lives to be transformed. For people to be rescued from bondage of sin. We, we cry, we pray to the Lord, we preach. But we do like we should do like Spurgeon again once said he, he's, he used to say that when he was up there preaching what, to 5,000 people in London he did the job as if the salvation of everyone in that room depended on him so he worked hard but when he finished preaching he would go to his prayer room and pray knowing that it depended all uh, from the Lord the Lord should do it but he preached it he did it faithfully but the word does the job. Take care to preach and to witness to the gospel faithfully and let God prosper your work as they did here. In conclusion, we have all been called to be witnesses. That's our mission here. We are in this world. It doesn't matter where you are in Europe, South America, North America, Asia. It doesn't matter. Your call is one, your mission is one, is to preach the gospel. Is to preach about, is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his death and resurrection, of rescuing from sin and hell that we find only through him. The sufferings that accompany all those who take up their crosses and follow Jesus Christ. This is your mission, church. This is what we are called to do. It's to preach the mystery of God calling people from all nations to belong to one only people of God. That's our calling. And we have this treasure in jars of clay to show 
that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We should die to fulfill our service. We should be willing to die to fulfill our service, our calling, our task. Paul's attitude towards his calling to preach the gospel, Paul's attitude of cultivating a servant's heart was nothing else than an imitation of Jesus Christ himself. He was the servant of God par excellence. He was the one who fulfilled Isaiah 53. He was the one who modeled the kind of ministry and life we all should live. And Paul is just showing to us that it is possible that a sinful man like himself would live like this. Preach the gospel. Live to rejoice in seeing people coming to know Christ. Paul is a man who was committed to fulfill the great commission of Matthew 24, 28 or Luke 24 of making disciples. That's him. How does it challenge you? How can it change your attitude towards your own calling and as a church, as a corporate people of God here? You see, in Brazil, the church has thrived by God's grace. Grace, And we have increased a lot in the last few decades. And we still need more preachers, more witnesses, more missionaries, more uh, gospel workers, more Christians committed to take seriously both the scriptures and godliness who work consistently in dependence of the Lord. I do the work of teaching and writing in Brazil as a biblical scholar in a seminary. My wife has a ministry with uh, talking about Christian lives, particularly to women in the country. And we know that we need more people doing the same job. Bringing the knowing, the knowledge of Jesus Christ to the whole country in depth. We need more of those people in Brazil who take seriously both the scriptures and the church. You're not messing about just being eggheads, people who know the things and the Bible and, and can flex, as we can see on social media so often. Not here, obviously, but in Brazil. We don't need that. We need people who do that for the sake of the church, who love the church and preach because they know that they are glorifying God by carrying out their ministry. And they know that they need to present people mature to God on the very last day. Let's pray. Dear God, we are so thankful because your word is so honest to us. And we acknowledge our calling, the task that you have given us. And we pray that you will help us to carry it out. That, that Paul's ministry attitude, Lord, will be ours. That we'll, we will, like him, follow the steps of Jesus Christ our Lord, and be more like him, Lord. That you will make this church here in Oxford even more relevant in this society, Lord, in, in this uh, beautiful city where you have planted them, that they will bring even more glory to your name through the preaching, teaching of your word. In Jesus' name, in Jesus name we pray. Amen. God bless you.